What do I usually say? <laughs> I never remember. Alright. Hello and welcome to episode 116 of the Implant Games Podcast. I'm your host, Chris Ginthy, and with me, my co-host, Matthew Schultz. How are you, Matthew? I'm good. How are you? I am... I am swell. I'm having a good day. That's good. I took the day off of work today. Well, I mean, like last week, I was having kind of a... Kind of having a hard week at my real job, and I'm like, I think I need to have a three-day weekend. Um, so I took Monday off, thinking I would be able to relax, but I ended up uh, not being able to relax at all. But I did today finally complete the original Rayman on the PlayStation. I hear that gets incredibly difficult near the end. Uh, it gets incredibly difficult near the beginning, and then just doesn't stop. <laughs> so <laughs> this one goes to eleven. <laughs> it, it's it's twenty percent is pretty normal, and then the last eighty percent is pretty insane. Um, I kind of planned on this being a two week process for this review instead of a one week because I knew it was gonna be more than uh, you know four hours of of, of gameplay, and uh, it just it absolutely kicked my ass. So it wasn't until today that I finally completed the game. Man, that's crazy. It's so it's such a beautiful looking game. It 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 uh it's funny how it's it's difficulty uh doesn't it's, really match. It kind of feels like it looks like it's gonna be this kitty fun game. And it's know. not. <laughs> and I think it somewhat annoys me is I, I've watched a lot of people uh talk about Rayman, myself included, and I feel like nobody I don't know, I feel like nobody really talks about kind of it's hard for all of the wrong reasons it just sort of gets a pass like uh rayman is hard and that's just what rayman is but not really diving into you know all the bs moments in the game it kind of has a lot of bubsy jumps doesn't it where you're you know what it most reminds me of what's that it most reminds me of the lion king mm. i don't know if if you've ever played the lion king on the genesis or the super nintendo well, I, I just recall that it's it's one of those things where you find out after you try something that that's not the way work. you're... Right, exactly. Imagine if Ninja Gaiden or Castlevania were <laughs> five-hour games instead of 45-minute games, and I think history would look back at those titles a little differently. <laughs> a little less fondly, yeah. But I spent all last week after work just... Doing a rough playthrough, not a completion, um, but just getting through every single level. And then over the weekend, I did a recorded run. And then today I did the second recorded run where I then got 100%. Because if you don't 100% the game, the final level and final boss are still hidden from you, which is really, really lame. Wow. <laughs> so I have 10 recorded hours of Rayman. <laughs> and uh, I'm, a little, I'm a little exhausted from it. Do you uh, do you record on like an Elgato? Do you do a separate audio track to to hear yourself for like note taking or anything like that? Nope, I take my notes the old fashioned way, Google Drive. So mm. I have the eighteen levels, and then as I play through it, I just add bullet points of uh, things that happened or things that I thought were good or things that annoyed me, and then uh, of course I can use those as references when writing the script. And more importantly, <laughs> when I need to go find footage, I know what level to look in. Yeah. So uh, I was so looking. I was looking at the notes uh, today for the intro, and I saw something. Uh, um, there that you had put. Oh yeah, and, I've already forgotten. <laughs> and it sort of, uh, 
Um, I'm curious. It's a big about deal. It. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a great loss. <laughs> it is a great loss, and it's uh, the last. Uh, well, let's see here. I got to get my day straight. It was just over a week ago, so it was the Friday after we recorded the last podcast. So nine days ago, or ten days ago, or whatever it is, uh, my wife was just about a mile away from home, driving on her way to work in the morning, and the front tires no longer uh, responded to the steering wheel. Oh man. And this is a it's an old car, a 17-year-old car, so there's no way to really like any any sort of problem is pretty much going to total the car and I'm not going to spend 2 grand fixing a car that's worth 700 bucks. Right. Was so, it the power steering sounds like? No, it actually the the metal parts underneath actually oh, rusted yeah. out. Wow. So there is no real way to fix it. <laughs> yeah, no, that's not worth it. No. So she was able to, if she drove slow enough, she could sort of steer the car. So she got it like limped at home. Um, but at that point, it's like, oh, uh, shoot, we have to buy a car. And uh, I'm not really ready for this. My car will be paid off in the spring. And then I was going to buy a new car because that way we only have one car payment instead of two. Uh, but that's not the way life decided to work. Um, um, so I needed to come up with, you know, 10% for a down payment on a reasonable car. And uh, so I sold the entire Atari Jaguar collection. Wow. Man, that's dedication there. That's love. <laughs> Once in a while, uh, you know, for the rest of my life, I will be able to remind her of this fact. <laughs> <laughs> It'll um, be your epitaph on the on the gra- the gravestone. <laughs> yeah. I sold my jag for you. <laughs> Honorable husband sold his jag. <laughs> it's kind of it's it's kind of been coming. I I kind of did my last hurrah with the Atari Jaguar uh, a couple months ago. I did a, a 42 minute video on the Jag, and that was kind of it for me. I don't really have anything else to say on the subject. I haven't bought a new Jaguar game in probably over a decade, if not longer. Yeah. Um. But so it, it just yeah. yeah I've, I've, you have it. You have the collection. Um. And it, you know, in theory, it's only going to increase in value as well. So I, I get why that would hurt a lot. Um, did you have any, like, does this go back to sentimental attachment? Was this something that you had, had gotten when it got, came out or maybe right, right after it's sort of, uh, the Jag Atari, uh, and that whole thing kind of crashed. Did you, did you pick it up then? Or was this something you got much later? I accumulated everything, a majority of it, between, I think, 2000 and 2001, when I still lived at home, um, but had my first job, but no bills. Yeah, that's still um, so, fairly soon after its launch, I mean, relatively speaking. Or its death, yeah. yeah so oh, yeah. four to five years <laughs> well, after its death. I guess kind of synonymous. <laughs> <laughs> so back then, there was new old stock on eBay. Even now, you can still find new old Jag stock, because, yeah, they just they made more than they could ever hope to sell right um because i don't know they wanted a discount on volume i I don't they obviously weren't good business people otherwise everything wouldn't have failed so miserably um but no i i don't really have that much sentimental value i enjoyed having it because most of it is pretty uncommon and or rare and uh, i didn't pay that much for any of it so it doesn't matter when i decided to kind of cash out uh i was going to come out way way ahead yeah and that's kind of you know i'm not in into spending two, three thousand dollars on a single video game, but 
kind of, you know, if you buy a hundred games at a dollar a piece and then five years, you sell them all at $5 a piece. That's a pretty good return on your investment. And there's very little risk there versus buying a single item. So that's kind of how I always look at it. I do a lot of trading, you know, I'll buy something five years later, I'll trade it in for more than I originally paid for it. And that has always worked pretty good for me. Um, But the Jag is something I always knew I was eventually going to get rid of. I don't. You know, I've played all the games as far as I'm ever going to play them. I don't really have that much sentimental attachment to it. You know, I really enjoy Super Burnout, for example. But, you know, there's other racing games. And, yeah, uh, yeah. you know, the time came where I needed that money. And, uh, yeah, so now we have a reasonable used car with low miles. And, uh, you know, I have an empty shelf on the on the game rack. Did you sell through a... Uh like on eBay or did you go through someone, uh, maybe through a game store or something like that? No, I, if I was going to sell, if it wasn't an, an emergency, I would have just sold it on eBay. Uh, you know, probably put like a 5% premium on everything and, and made an even bigger, you know, profit than my original investment. But me and my wife don't really have a schedule and our works aren't really in a place where it's easy for us to carpool. Like it's almost impossible. It's a giant headache. Mm. And uh, my car is also a stick, uh, not an automatic. Ah, And that means that further limits our flexibility because only I can drive it. Um, So I needed the cash sooner rather than later. So I did actually trade it into a local game store. Uh, So Press Start Games in Menasha or Appleton, Wisconsin um, was kind (laughs) enough to to take this off of my hands, obviously for, you know, less than it would go for on eBay. Um, But still that, you know, that's taking on a significant amount of risk on their part since I imagine many of those games will sit there for more than a few months. So I'm very grateful that uh, I have a rapport with those guys and they were able to help me out of a jam. That's awesome. Yeah, yeah. I was I was going to say it might have been hard to uh, take that um, and turn it into, you know, some li- liquid uh, capital. But uh, <laughs> luckily you, you knew somebody because otherwise, yeah, you'd be waiting for it to sell on eBay right now. And yeah, who knows when that would happen? Yeah. Well, yeah, I'm sure I could get rid of it all in 30 days, but I can't. Like the YouTube channel would basically have to go on hold for 30 days and just a lot of life stuff like that would really, it just wasn't going to happen. So I really needed, you know, to get a down payment on a car. And uh, so it all worked out. The J collection is now no longer mine. I don't have to kind of deal with the the nonsense that comes with owning a Jag and that community. And yeah, (laughs) good riddance. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. This, um, Last uh, uh, two weeks, I, I decided to pick up some uh, Super Mario Kart and play that again. Uh, since you had mentioned it last episode, it got me thinking about it and uh, played that for a bit and brought back a lot of memories. I I uh, I got to thinking about the rivalry between the different characters. And um, anyways, I, I noticed that uh, the only... Like you've gotten the natural rivalries of the good guys and the bad guys, but then there's mm-hmm. there is the two good guys that are the only rivals, and that's Luigi and Yoshi. So that got me thinking: like, is that Mario sending Yoshi after Luigi? And <laughs> like, is there is that some sabotage going on there or something along those that's lines? That's only but. a theory. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> I I have not put. I own 
Super Mario Kart, of course. I actually bought a boxed copy again 10, 15 years ago <laughs> from a local store for like 10 bucks. Yeah. Complete inbox. Um, and I really haven't put that much time into it. I played the hell out of it as a kid. I had like a neighbor friend that had a Super Nintendo, the only one I knew with a Super Nintendo. <laughs> and anytime I went over to his house, all I wanted to do was play Super Mario Kart. I didn't want to do anything else. I didn't want to play outside. I didn't want to watch Power Rangers. I didn't want to do anything but play Super Mario Kart. <laughs> <laughs> which I'm sure was very annoying. Um, yeah. But someday I would like to sit down and get through that game single player in its entirety. Yeah, it's it's slippery. The controls are a lot slippier than I remember, but uh, mm-hmm. I'm starting to get my finesse back. I used to be a pro at it. And so I'm, I'm getting, I'm getting the feel for the road again with the, uh, with the different characters and their attributes. So having a good time with that. What I really like about super Mario Kart, And then I think it's super circuit on the game boy advance is I think they're the only two Mario Kart games where the coins give you a little extra speed the more you have. Yeah, I like that mechanic. They actually did bring that back in eight. Okay. So, um, but yeah, it was long gone and missing uh, between uh, uh, the uh, Game Boy Advance one up until uh, up until Mario Kart eight or uh, yeah, Mario Kart eight. So um, I was really excited to see that that element come back. Um, it adds uh, an element of like skill in driving to yeah. the combat, which I don't mind combat, but I much prefer driving to combat games. Yeah. Another subtle thing that they added to it that I didn't notice when I was younger is uh, they your top speed uh, peaks when you're on the final lap. So it's just added elements of like psychological intensification <laughs> of, of the race. Um, and the music yeah exactly so it uh the you'll hear the the cart kind of top out a little bit higher once you get that on that final lap uh so i noticed that and kind of appreciated that little additional sort of psychological uh element to it that they added so having having some fun with that nice yeah anything else or should we move yeah, to, the news. to the news yeah all right so of course it's not the e3 episode so there's not too much to talk about but uh there's some there's some good stuff here let's start with the atari box so yeah. atari basically i think they've been teasing for a couple of weeks or a couple of months that they were releasing some sort of piece of hardware and they finally released basically a pre-rendered artist's conception of what it would look like <laughs> They announced the announcement, essentially. Which is very, like, it, kind of amazing because, every well, for one, everybody's talking about it, but I guess any, they're talking about it in a way where, like, the yearly flashback news, nobody really, you know, puts, plays, pays that much attention to. Um, but I will say, since there's nothing else to talk about other than the, <laughs> other than what it looks like, this is one of the most beautiful pieces of like retro tech i've seen in quite some time yeah it's uh it's definitely got a very pleasing design for, uh absolutely it looks to be quite quite small um but there's no as far as i saw in any of the um photographs and whatnot i don't think there was any any scale to, to no. judge it on I guess it um, could be the size of an Atari or it could be the size of a PlayStation TV. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but I have a feeling it's on the smaller side. Um, yeah. But it, yeah, it looks it looks beautiful. Uh, but there is that sort of looming, all of the articles that spoke of it um, kind of jabbed at the fact that the, the announcement didn't say much about it. 
um as far as what what was it steel what what is it you know you know in a way that's kind of the beauty of it is they basically did nothing and got a bunch of free press (laughs) they even covered it in forbes yeah um, which is bizarre <laughs> but they totally misinterpreted like i i don't even know why i think it was a facebook ad or something and it was the forbes article on the atari box and they were like obviously not really that savvy in the gaming space because they were thinking that because they had mentioned either pc specs or modern specs they had interpreted that as like a my xbox one or playstation 4 level of hardware and it was kind of like i don't think you guys are reporting this correctly (laughs) oh man that's that's a bummer. It gets that big coverage and then uh, just sort of whiffs on the uh, on the details. I think with the failure of the PlayStation TV, which I thought was going to be a massive success and was totally wrong, and then the failure of the Ua or Ouya, uh, which I kind of didn't expect to kind of go off. I I don't really see any point uh, for anything other than an Atari emulation box, and I hope that is all it will be. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, um, I was I was digging through the information trying to figure out a, a lot of people have been talking about um, something that I think was only mentioned in passing in an article, but not in any of the announcement because the announcement's very, you know, there's Here's nothing. There. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, but there was some extrapolation, uh, some guesswork on the on the part of uh, I think it was a Kotaku article where they were talking about does this mean the Atari umbrella, not just the 2600, but also anything under, you know, the Atari name. Uh, some in, you know, giving an example of a roller coaster tycoon, I think it was. And, um, I just, I don't see, see that making any sense with what this is as far as what it looks like. Um, that would be a very confusing sell to people. I, I feel like. I hope it is the NES Classic Edition. It's a beautiful looking Atari. It accepts, uh, it comes bundled with two Atari 2600 style joysticks, but works with other joysticks. And that's it. I would hope that it is nothing else. (laughs) Because anything more than $60 is a pretty big waste of time. Yeah, I agree. Um, Um, Do you think it, I mean, any guesses on will it have original controller ports or do you think they're going to go with just plain old USB? If I was a hardware engineer working for a company, I assume Atari doesn't make that much money these days. Who is the company as a whole? I don't really notice any IPs with Atari labeling on them these days. Is Mm -hmm. Atari still alive or is it just a holding company? Well, that's the thing. (laughs) Yeah. The question is, is this a licensee that simply bought, the rights to 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 you know to use the atari name to build this and from what i can tell from an, an faq i think I, I was reading on the on the uh, the site where the announcement was uh may have been an interview but they they had implied that they were very dedicated to the to the exp- they wanted this to be driven by fans and and make it a a real fan uh experience whatever that means um so I, I feel know. I feel like whoever's behind this, you know, if it's if it is a licensee or something to that effect, um, they, are, you know, it sounds like they're wanting to at least be, um, semi, you know, somewhat faithful to what a fan might want uh, with some with a device like this. So, you know, what we- a fan would want a Retron seventy seven. <laughs> <laughs> 
All right. Let's move on to something um, interesting, and that is Flashcart Gate. Um, I've read this. I It must have probably been like the day after the last episode of the podcast, but this was originally an article that's a few weeks old now, and that mm. is made by, I don't know how to say his name because it's French, but I assume it's Rene, and he runs DB, or I think he's French-Canadian or French. I don't know. I guess it doesn't matter. He runs DB <laughs> Electronics. Uh, dot ca that's why i was wondering if it's canadian french canadian or french i don't know Hmm. Um, but basically he's done he's made devices that i own i own the powerbase mini fm uh which is the only way i play master system games now because the going through the genesis and then through the hd retrovision cables is the in my opinion and in my testing the absolute best way to get clean master system audio I believe there's something in the video processing of a master system that bleeds into or causes noise with the uh, with the FM, not the FM chip, uh, whatever the PSG chip or whatever. It's a very noisy system to capture from. But the PowerBase Mini FM and the HD Retrovision cables give me an amazing audio experience. And both of those devices are, you know, in my opinion, based on my testing, you know, engineered brilliantly. And then the other device. I own by DB Electronics is the um, I thought I wrote the, wrote this down. I did write it down. The DB Graphics Booster TTP, uh, which is something that plugs into the back of a Turbo Graphics or Super Graphics or you know that 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 uh, expansion port that's on most PC engines and Turbo Graphics, and it gives you S video, uh, composite video as well as RGB. And again, the device just works flawlessly, and it's kind of amazing. Um, so, based on those two facts, it's it's clear to me that he has some engineering chops, and he kind of knows what he's talking about and what he's doing. Um, but what he did is he kind of called out um, other retro engineers and not following what he deems to be the highest uh, level of quality or the the highest level of standards, uh, particularly when it comes to flashcards. Yeah, um, I I think I I watched the video where he he explained it in a bit more detail, and he was saying uh, specifically that it's not I guess you could say to spec. Um, if you were to yeah. look at at you know the the uh, engineering guide for making a cart for one of these consoles or something to that effect, that uh, essentially um, the the way I understand it, there's five volts of electricity for for most of these um, cartridge based consoles that carries through the actual cartridge, and then yep. that follows out of it, and that's what you know, that signal goes through the cart, the cart does, you know, the gra- uh, some of the graphical stuff, and then the console also does it, and then that carries out to the signal that gives you their sound in your video. Um, and along the way, with some of these, uh, the multi-carts in particular seem to be the worst, uh, but some of these flash carts, they use 3.3 volts, which a lot of people think, oh, well, that's less, that's, that's fine, but what happens is you've got 5 volts carrying through, three it's the card is using three volts that extra voltage isn't handled and um if i understand correctly it can it can build up and that extra energy has to go somewhere and so he's saying that over time this can cause damage to either the cart that's inputted uh or um the console itself yeah um 
So that's that's my my take of it. And most of these flashcards need something called a level uh, transistor. Um, and he's got he's got a list of um, uh, I think some of these he eyeballed looking at um, pictures of of the uh, the drives. I don't think he has them all, but he made a list of uh, of the ones that um, sort of the bigger ones and broke down you know whether they're safe to use or or not. And the big ones to avoid. Um, in particular that he had mentioned were the, uh, the multi-carts. Uh, so you got the NES, uh, 150 and one, the NES 401, the, there's a Neo Geo 161 in one and the flash, the flash kit MD. Those ones specifically, he says to avoid, there's absolutely no, nothing designed to absorb that carryover. And, um, in his own experience, he mentioned specifically that he knows people that have killed killed their uh their consoles using the uh the multi-carts in particular um and then he's got a list of uh quite a few ever drives that he he suggests to use sparingly but they 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 still because i i think it's because of how how much energy they use that that they will carry over some of that extra that residual power onto the console and i so think they, what he's saying with these is that the there is a like the i don't know what to say because i don't want to i'm not interested in the drama side of the story there's a there's a half-assed way to deal with the taking five volts and turning it into 3.3 and then there's the right way to take five volts and turn it into 3.3 so on the avoid they just avoided the problem and that's that <laughs> right but then there's mostly the ever drives where they kind of do the not correct way but some way to knock that voltage down yeah and so that's the ever drive md mega ever drive ever drive x7 master ever drive game gear ever drive turbo ever drive version one and super ever drive so obviously if i was uh i forget what his name is is it chris k-r-i-z-z Mm-hmm. That does the EverDrives. I would imagine he would be pretty annoyed uh, for one that, you know, uh, one of his colleagues, I guess you could say, published the article in the first place. And then I would imagine he'd be even more annoyed that a lot of people are starting to talk about it. And uh, I would imagine that would make someone feel pretty defensive about their process, you know, having somebody call them out like that but then he also goes on to say that the following you know do it correctly or at least what renee db electronics says is the correct way to do it and that's the mega everdrive turbo i'm sorry mega mega everdrive x5 turbo everdrive version 2 everdrive n8 and then the one i guess that does it how you're supposed to and that's the sd2 snes which i don't know who makes that yeah i'm I'm not sure myself um did you want to touch on the controversy at all with this, sort of the reaction that people are having to this? No. <laughs> all right, all right, yeah. Um. <laughs> I think it's, you know, I Ben Heck, I think, is a good example on YouTube where he talks, you know, sometimes his videos get a little dry, but he really dives into, this is what I'm doing and this is why. And there are certainly people that call out Ben Heck as, you know, making things filled with hot glue and not doing it correctly. And I think it's okay for people to critique each other's work. Now, as a content creator, I am critiqued every freaking day. So, you know, at this point, I'm pretty decent. 
decent at dealing with it when somebody tells me I'm an idiot. I don't know what I'm talking about. I suck at video games, whatever. You know, I hear it every day. I'm pretty much used to it. But I would imagine on somebody that's less used to that kind of, uh, you know, public criticism, that would kind of suck. And uh, but I think it's important that everybody starts to critique. It's it should be okay to critique others' work, and it should be okay to accept uh, constructive, you know, criticism. Mm. Yeah, and uh, picking sides is obviously stupid because (laughs) clearly both groups of people are very passionate about retro gaming, and I don't think there's ill intent with anybody involved. Yeah, I mean, he outright with the ever drives. Not a single ever drive is listed as as something to avoid. Um, It's just. uh, a caution that that he's uh, putting out there and i i think it's good that you know you're you're purchasing something that is of um kind of a you know isn't the most um effort drives are expensive i mean well, they go from anywhere from 90 dollars to hundreds of dollars this and, is and a- it's it's nature it's not something that's on the up and up so to speak and i i won't say whether you know i i think that's right or wrong you know uh using these uh for potential privacy but um but in that regard you do have to be extra cautious as a buyer and so in my mind i see this as an excellent uh uh sort of consumer protection from from somebody who's saying hey you might want to be careful of these and and giving uh you know uh some pretty as far as i can tell some pretty sound reasoning as to why um, so I think in the long run, this can only be a good thing. And frankly, even for the EverDrive uh, um, creators themselves, they can use this as an opportunity to create version twos of all of these, you know, and and, and market those out uh, if they want. If they take a look at their designs, they might find a, a better way to do it with, with better margins. You know, uh, any of those kinds of things are possible. But I, I just see it as overall as a, as a positive thing. Um, I think people should... It's hard to educate yourself on elect, you know, electronic engineering. I don't really know anything about electronics and how they work. And to to start to read articles like this that are kind of wrote, written in a in a good way to make me kind of understand and maybe make me, you know, we've seen you know cheap flashcards on Amazon, for example, I, that aren't I think for the Super Nintendo that pretty much don't cost anything. And then that kind of makes me hesitate. Well, maybe I don't want to spend $40. Maybe I should be buying the one that's engineered, you know, to spec that might cost a couple hundred dollars more, you know, because that's better in the long run. Just getting that, I guess, into the forefront of people's head, buyer beware, you get what you pay for. Um, Or, you know, maybe he's completely wrong. Maybe all of this, (laughs) you know, everything that's been done to drop five volts down to 3.3 has been correct. And somebody will counter saying, no, here's the white paper that shows this is an acceptable way to do it here are the studies you know it could go either way but it's it's for me it's an interesting conversation as um you know i i start to collect uh, more and more of these kind of new retro devices yeah and you know i see it as these devices are uh totally useful as a as a matter of convenience if you're if you're wanting to play on original hardware it makes it makes complete sense to me uh, that that you would go this route, um, uh, you know, to be able to to go through your library of games. So, um, but yeah, then, it's go ahead. 
Yeah, then there's systems that it doesn't even matter. I believe the um, the electric line on the Game Boy Advance and N64 are already 3.3 volts, so it doesn't even matter. So yeah. there's it's just interesting things like that I would have never thought of. Yeah. Well, um, I mean, that's pretty much all I have to say on that. But, uh, you know, I think cooler heads prevail, and I think over time people will, will be uh, More thankful that... Savvy. Well, and and it starts a conversation that wasn't happening, and so uh, I think I think that's only a good thing, especially from a preservation uh, standpoint. If if there is some sort of negative impact to the consoles, it's good that somebody's saying something now instead yeah. of years later when they all start dying and we don't know why. When every Genesis is fried, <laughs> <laughs> right? Um, long story short, uh, lots of these lots of these would not get the Nintendo seal of quality. Uh, there you go. <laughs> so to speak all right i'll let you take the next one <clears throat> excuse me yeah the uh the snes classic fiasco has begun um a couple days ago uh they went up for pre-order on walmart.com <coughs> excuse me uh and in less than 40 minutes they were sold out uh but then uh wait there's more so uh, the time that they went up was pretty late in the day, especially if you're on the East Coast. Uh, so a lot of people missed out. Um, but then uh, the next morning, uh, there were reports of people getting their pre-orders canceled. And it sounds like what happened was uh, Walmart uh, put up the listing for the pre-order a bit too early. And it sounds like all all the pre-orders are going to be canceled for, for anyone that, that grabbed that. Um <laughs> So a lot of uh, broken hearts, but it is. Uh, I think this is a preview of what's to come. Uh, you mean the death of retail <laughs> and why Walmart can't compete with Amazon? <laughs> right, right. Um, Target has announced that they're doing pre-orders, but this is all just a, a taste of uh, what happened with the NES Classic. I think was that there was an expectation that there was going to be long-term availability for this. Now that we know that's not the case, especially since they've said it with the SNES Classic, the collectors are, are out early for this. Um, and you've got the, the resellers coming in as well. So there's a, a very large uh, uh, swath of sharks ready to chomp on that and, and grab those classics as soon as they come up. So this is uh, going to be a feeding frenzy. And again, as far as Nintendo has said, this will only be available until the end of the year. Um, they have said they're producing more. Um, I think we can actually jump into a, uh, a listener question that, that falls in line uh, with, with this if you want right now, or we can, uh, we can wait till later on. <laughs> well, you've already opened the door. <laughs> Kelfab OG <laughs> on Twitter says, with Walmart canceling pre-orders on the SNES Classic, are we having a repeat of the NES Classic? Uh, I, what do you think? What's your, I think I don't have much to say. I think that <laughs> Nintendo will make 2.3 million. Everybody <laughs> will be upset and that will be the end of it. Oh man. Yeah. I think, I you're think right. history will just repeat itself. And yeah, that'll be that. I think Nintendo knew what they were doing with the NES classic. I think the answer to the question is yes and no. 
I think they're going to produce more of the SNES Classic for sure. I think that the demand will be so high that they'll be just as hard as to get as the NES Classic was. But we made 2.4 million <laughs> this time. Yeah, I, I don't know what's going on over there. Why they deliberately? I, I don't know. Right. We talked about it last time. I don't understand. It doesn't make any sense. Yeah, they could they could turn out two and a half million of these every year <laughs> for the next five years. And it's a nice little side business, and they choose not to. I just I don't comprehend. Right. So I think I think if you want it, it's just you've got to get out there and you've you've got to. Um, I think some of people's best bets would be to to go to retail and and try to get them as soon as they get on the shelves, uh, and just hope that you're not in an area where there's some uh, uh, a crazy reseller who's gonna you know be at the store every every morning and and uh, get the phone numbers of the people who work in the back and and have them call them when when they come become available. <laughs> uh, so. Um, it's going to be hard to get. I don't. I don't think it's going to be any different. It'll be just as hard as to, to get as the NES Classic. If Nintendo doesn't want my money, then I'll just give it to somebody else. <laughs> exactly. I don't know. Uh, it, you know, I've been doing this show for a long time now. Um, I think the podcast started in 2010, maybe 2011, and it's like it's like the same conversation over and over. You know, of it's you know you can go all the way back to the Wii not having enough Wiis for like a year you can go you know move that up to well not the Wii U <laughs> but you can move that up to Amiibos you can move that up to um the the Mario All-Stars on the Wii I don't know what it was called Mario 20th anniversary you know not making very many at all and just they've always just sort of done that so it doesn't surprise me yeah and yeah. I, there must be a reason that like they can't like somebody in the company must be saying, no, this is the right way. And here's a logical explanation as to why it's the right way. And I don't know, maybe if they don't make enough, their internal data supports that they'll sell more switches. I don't know. It, I, you know, that that might be it. It might just be, you know, the target audience for the SNES classic is is 30 somethings and they're having kids now. And so if we release the SNES Classic, maybe that puts Nintendo back in their mind for when uh, little Billy wants to get his own console and they look to the Switch um, because, uh, you know, nostalgia and memories, it all clicks together. Maybe they get a, maybe it's like just advertising for the virtual console. Maybe they have a massive spike, you know, when this gets reported on the news and people, you know, see Mario and then they go and buy it on the virtual console. I don't know. They're, they're. There must be a logical reason. I, I Nintendo's been a, around what the, before the fifties, right? They've been around since the late eighteen hundreds, making playing cards or something. Yeah, and now like, they'll be they'll be into the uh, the the twenty two hundreds making uh, NES classics. Yeah, things that we can't even <laughs> comprehend. Yeah, that, that's just it's it's nice to say that Nintendo's stupid and they don't know what they're doing. But I mean, they've been around for a while. I have to I have to trust that there's a reason. But it is very annoying. Yeah, I think it. I think it. Mo- the most, I, I think it probably falls in line with company philosophy over over anything. If I if I had to guess, but who knows? Not me. Yeah. All right. You made me watch something very interesting for <laughs> this episode's streaming pick. Yeah. You went in a direction I was not expecting at all. <laughs> yeah, I'm I'm hooked on these game developer conference uh videos. They have some of them up on uh, on YouTube. Uh in order to a- access all of them, you've got to pay a, a an annual subscription of something like $200. So whenever they have any video uh game developer conference videos uh on their YouTube channel, I watch them right away because I know there's some really interesting information in there. 
And this one, I hate, I hate to say it, but I did not know this story at all. No, my, my understanding of the situation was completely wrong. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Um, so I had no idea that Miss Pac-Man was essentially, uh, a ROM hack, um, done by, uh, Americans, uh, former, uh, MIT dropouts. And, uh, and um, let's say the name of the video quick. So this is the yeah. Game Developer Conference 2016 postmortem on Miss Pac-Man. Yes. So that's what you'd want to search for. Yeah. GDC and- 2016 Miss Pac-Man postmortem. It's about an hour and two minutes long. It is a. It's like um. What would you call that? It would be. It's like a presentation. So there's the guy on the podium, uh, with a slideshow telling his very fascinating story. Yeah. Um uh, Steve uh Gols uh, Golson, I think it is. Golson. Yeah. Yep. Um and he's he talks about essentially the the history of um a precursor to how they got to the point where they were making uh a Miss Pac-Man ROM, essentially ROM hack. Um essentially they had started a, a company that uh took and would uh sort of improve arcade games. Um what would happen is people would play old arcade games and they get so good at them that uh that they, they wouldn't make money anymore right exactly because it's all <laughs> about you want them to be one pumping, credit complete exactly you want them to be pumping quarters in and so they uh they essentially took uh arcade machines and would hack them and add new challenges into them or uh in the case of miss pac-man initially they were completely uh changing the the artwork and the audio and and it wasn't really even uh you know it was still a a Pac-Man game in spirit, but it was uh, to be completely different. What was the name of the game again? Um, I can't remember. Auto something. That's right. Auto. Auto something. something. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's just such an interesting story to me. And I love that it's sort of got this entrepreneurial element to it. I love that there's a little bit of uh, gambling and bluffing that they did as as uh, as a company. And um uh, just a fascinating story. I don't want to. I really don't want to say too much about it. But it, it. He just details the the creation of uh, of uh, how they essentially created Miss Pac Man. It's really fascinating, and I have a great respect for it now. I um, there's something to me really special about Miss Pac Man as uh, compared to Pac Man it, um, itself. I I think there's there's a lot of magic in Miss Pac Man. I mean, the cutscenes, all all that kind of stuff, really. Um, I used to go to my local ar- arcade, uh, that was a, uh, bowling alley. And, uh, even in the, in the nineties, I was, I was going there and playing Miss Pac-Man just cause I, I loved it so much and it, really fascinating to, to see this story, um, sort of brought to life. And what I found, found most interesting is that like the story, like the sort of general knowledge that I had is that, you know, in the early 80s, people made these add-on boards, you know, to and sold them to arcade owners, um, you know, for like a, you know, a fraction of what an arcade machine would cost. They'd give them an add-on board, so, and that would change the game and make it more challenging. And I feel like the story that's always been told is like Miss Pac-Man started as like some sort of like illegal type of project like that happened in somebody garage like a, you know and then midway came and shut him down and then took it from them and that's not the story at all like the story that i had i don't know that's sort of been passed down or you know spread around the internet for all these years has been like completely false 
I don't know yeah. what your like previous knowledge of Miss Pac-Man, but I mean, is that kind of where your knowledge base was? Absolutely not. Actually, I, I, it's so funny to me because I'm so into the older, the older games and their history. And I, I read interview after interview on this stuff and any of this, the story of Miss Pac-Man, I had no knowledge of it whatsoever. So to, to just hear this story to me was, was the really, I just, it was like twists and turns where I'm like, what? <laughs> uh, and so I, I didn't know about the, um, uh, any of any of the sort of um, urban the legends, Adam boards, or oh, yeah, you didn't yeah. even heard of the urban no, legends. No, none of the urban legends or anything like that. And so uh, that that whole that whole story to me was was fascinating. Um, and uh, it, yeah, just interesting to hear how they even test these things. Um, and uh, uh, you know, they they'll throw out a couple cabinets and in, into an area and, and see what uh, what what uh what people think of them and and get an idea of how many you know how how quickly people are going to um get through a round uh of uh quarters um but yeah i definitely recommend this is a good watch if you're interested in the history of of games this is definitely something to to it starts yeah it starts a little weird like five minutes in i'm like damn it matthew i don't want to sit here (laughs) and watch this and then you know i watched it in two sittings uh in between you know yelling at rayman today (laughs) but i i really what i like about it is uh, i'm pretty into like the history of the green bay packers and they have uh, a historian i forget his name and and uh, what he does is he takes all these old like oral hit like these oral conversations um, and then like puts them into words. And that's kind of like what this is. This is like the beginning of the history of Miss Pac-Man. I mean, maybe the story was told in a documentary 10 years ago. I don't know. But it, that's what it reminded me of, like an oral history of events. And now somebody will take that and then that will start to be like the beginning of the written knowledge of Miss Pac-Man and and how things worked in the late seventies and early eighties. And that, that part is really fascinating to me too, because if these guys, you know, that are all in their fifties and sixties don't start telling these stories, they're just going to die with them. Yep. If they weren't, if they weren't interviewed in an old magazine and you know, if it's not written down somewhere, uh, this, all of this, uh, really interesting history, you know, it'll, it'll go away. And so I think this is just a great way to appreciate, and and get you thinking about um, some of the older games that you're playing and go kind of consider its development a little bit more and the people behind the game that you're playing uh, and the and the creative process in general. And this this one is just especially interesting because it's, you know, it's f- very much a hack. Um, and there's just yeah the urban legends around it and then like hearing the truth. Yeah. <laughs> so like it's so less, uh, I don't know devious than the uh the the urban legend but the one of the first things i did after i finished it is i went and looked to see if um norman crusoe the gaming historian had done a gaming historian episode on this topic and he had not in fact yeah i i i i'm sure he he i don't know does he cover arcade um he that, covers that i think i don't i feel like he covers a pretty wide right. uh, lens of different gaming topics like the one he did with the nintendo and the mariners before it got yanked off of youtube because of copyright <laughs> was was amazing yeah like i'm like oh my god i bet there's i want to see someone tell this story not behind a podium but you know in that documentarian type of way 
Yeah. Yeah, I, I could totally see him doing something on this. Um, uh, you know, maybe even wrap it up in the original history of, of Pac-Man. And then, um, you know, it, it's it's worth it just to hear him describe the process of uh, a female Pac-Man, so to speak. And, and uh, the, you know, he shows different uh, artwork and um, uh, the design process of, of the character itself. Uh, it's just really fun to, to watch. Uh, see a look into that to that whole process alone um so yeah go out there and watch it guys check it out gdc 2016 miss pac-man postmortem one hour two minutes absolutely uh it's obviously free it's on youtube so you should go watch it all right are you ready to move on to the cheap games i am all right, so these are two games that today cost $10 or less and are absolutely worth your time. So I will go ahead and get started. Uh, my pick this week is Tiny Toon Adventures Buster's Hidden Treasure on the Sega Genesis. Um, I bought mine for $5 and I like the game so much that uh, I traded it in and got a complete copy. Um, so I, I could have the box on my shelf. That's how much I enjoyed this game. Uh, but right before we recorded, there are five copies on eBay, none of them mine, none of them Matthews, that are less than $10, including shipping. So it's definitely a $10 or less game. Uh, but this is one of the first, not the first, one of the first Konami games released on the Sega Genesis. They were late to the Genesis party. Um, but what I like about this game is it's not just a port of a Super Nintendo game. For some reason, Konami liked to just make new games for the Genesis. Their Contra, the Castlevania, the Tiny Toon Adventures, the Ninja Turtles, they were all different games. And uh, I had never heard or seen anyone talk about Tiny Toon Adventures, Buster's Hidden Treasure on the Genesis before. Uh, So when I bought it, I was kind of expecting to play it not like it and let it sit on the shelf until i could sell it for five dollars um but i it ended up being kind of an amazing little platformer that uh doesn't really get any love on the genesis have you played it before no i haven't so it's about two it's a long game it's about two hours long the beginning is a little derivative it kind of has a little mario vibe going uh but as the levels progress it really starts growing its old its own legs what is interesting about the game and not always in the best way is the jumping controls uh the weirdest part about the jumping is when you let go of the jump button you kind of drop like an anvil Mm which doesn't feel all that fluid, but the more you play the game, the more it really doesn't matter because all of the platforms, all of the enemies, all of the level design works perfectly with Buster's controls. And uh, it ends up being a really great platformer that uh, if you're into that genre, the 16-bit platformers, uh, everybody should own it. For me, it's uh, it's one of my favorite Genesis games now. That's awesome. And it's Konami, so it's beautiful, and it sounds amazing. Yeah, um, that's interesting. I'll definitely have to check this out. I, uh, I love the cartoon. I'm not going to be ashamed to admit that. <laughs> I don't think you have to be. <laughs> not on this show. Um, so I, I definitely want to check this out. Um, yeah. So it it is significantly different than uh, what. So there was a Buster's hidden advent, a hidden treasure for that for the SNES. Uh, there was a Buster Bust Loose, I believe. That's the what Super it was. Nintendo. Okay. Okay. Yeah. Now, I have never played that game, so they may be more similar than I'm leading on, or they may not. I'm certainly not an expert on Buster Busts Loose. 
Yeah, it looks. But awesome I know that's that. a beloved game too. Yeah, but no, I reviewed this a few months back, and uh, I was kind of going through my budget titles, and then uh, I actually watched this video uh, before we recorded today, uh, so that I would have it fresh in my head uh, of what the pluses and minuses were. Um, and yeah, the it's kind of funny watching the video again. I'm like, the jumping noise is really annoying. How did I not notice that? <laughs> but other than that, it's it's it really is fantastic. Fantastic. I, I would put it like on the same level as like maybe Aladdin uh, by Virgin Games or maybe Mickey Mania by Traveler's Tales. Kind oh, of wow. in that that upper third party echelon, not a Sonic or a Mario, but pretty high up there on the third party platformer. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah, check it out. Tiny Toon Adventures, Buster's Hidden Treasure, Sega Genesis. Super cheap. Um, yeah, so my pick for, for a cheap game this week was, uh, I had actually a few, uh, PS2 titles that were sort of, uh, rolling around in my brain. Um, but I settled on, uh, Prince of Persia Sands of Time, which, uh, I, possibly a lot of people have played, but if you haven't, um, and you want to, it's, it's four to five dollars on eBay right now. Um, that's for some of these, I mean, that's including shipping, which is insane. Um, uh, it's a very good game. Uh, it's what what I think is interesting about it to me is that the title of the game, the plot device of the game, the Sands of Time, uh, are a gameplay mechanic that that uh, at the time was, uh, as far as I know, was kind of un- unseen, which was uh, essentially the ability to rewind time um, if you failed a jump or something to that effect, um, sort of recreating. The original Prince of Persia, um, kind of a weird segue that you had mentioned that for the for the um, Sega Sega Genesis, um, but uh, uh, so it's a th- it's like a 3D Prince of Persia. It's one of the one of the firsts, not not the first though, because there was a couple of PC ones before this, I think. Um, but just a great all around um, experience. Uh, the combat uh, is a little reminiscent of like it's it's pre Arkham uh, juggling. Uh, uh, combos and, and fighting multiple enemies at the same time uh, is really fluid. Uh, and uh, if you get yourself into too much trouble, you can just uh, rewind time. And uh, overall, it's just a it's a beautiful looking game. Uh, the first I still remember the opening when uh, there's this drape that you can walk through, and uh, it's the game starts out the the title scene is the start of the game, which is really, I, I, I kind of like it when, when games do that. Um, but, uh, just a really, really, f- uh, fluid, um, smooth experience, um, and overall like well-polished, um, action platformer, I guess you could call it. Uh, I if not, I own it weirdly enough on the Xbox. Um, and I checked my, my little list here. I spent $4 on it last July, so it's cheap on the Xbox too. I've never played a Prince of Persia game. I remember reading about this. I feel like it was an early Xbox and PS2 game. I think so. And I remember people, I don't know if I saw it like on a demo disc video, but I always remember the character like running along the wall. Like that was something that always stuck out to me. Yeah, it had very early, uh, I think this was one of the first games to introduce like the concept of parkour. Yeah. Um, and I think even the word itself is French and it's Ubisoft. So these are French. Uh, <laughs> I think, I think it was one of the Ubisoft France or I don't know the names of the divisions there, but, uh, um, uh, that it's, it's, it's got that beautiful, you know, a lot of, 
say what you will about Ubisoft. I, I think people have different opinions on on their uh, sort of quality spectrum, but uh, I think it's just a, a really great game, really beautiful, and it's just solid. It's just a great, great playing game. I, I I really like it when I'm playing a game and every action that I'm performing makes me feel, you know, like I'm. It's my skill. It's my fault. It's it's uh you know it's it's the opposite of Rayman. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> it's in my control and and uh it's a, a great rewarding experience when you get better at a game like that. And and the built-in mechanic of being able to rewind time allows you to not feel uh as cheated. Um one of my biggest what I hate is like poor like especially now like if I play an Xbox game um and die and I get sent back like 10 15 minutes I hate that. Yeah. It just feels so dated. Like, really? You're going to make me redo all of this all over again? Because, like, you know, games like Halo in 2001, a launch title, kind of, you know, set the standard for what acceptable is. <laughs> but the fact that I, I don't know if the rewind is infinite, but anything that kind of takes out the grind is something that I can appreciate. Yeah, there, there's a limited, um, You, I believe, if I remember correctly, you have to refill it a certain way either through combat or i think there's uh um some some way to to refill it beyond that but uh i i also recall it has been a little bit of time since i've played it but i do recall that the actual rewind mechanic also plays in part with solving puzzles as well nice. so there's yeah so it's it's just uh it's, it's really like cool blinks the time sweeper <laughs> <laughs> no <laughs> exactly but no it's it's uh, just a really solid game and awesome. any, anyone who's played is probably tired of me talking about it because they already know that. <laughs> All right. That looks like a good place to start with the 3D Prince of Persia's. I have Sands of Time, Warrior Within, and The Two Thrones. And Sands of Time, I believe, came first. Yeah, chronologically speaking, I, I think nice. so. I wonder how long it is. That'll, that's probably... I, I like stuff like that because I want to play more of those six-generation games that I might have missed, especially since, as the, you know, this segment kind of points out, is the six-gen games are pretty cheap right now. So now is a good time to buy. Not oh. ten years when they become collectible. <laughs> right. Get them now. All, All right. right. Do you want to move on to questions and answers? Let's do it. All right. At, on Twitter, at Nintendo Legend aka eric bailey he asks what are two things you are looking forward to i wrote my answers down matthew i don't know if you want to think about yours <laughs> <laughs> well i'm uh i i guess you could hit it off or uh i i can go um i'm challenging myself to uh to learn a new skill and and get uh good at it now that i have a little one i want to build memories and part of that is uh by cooking okay and so uh i'm doing a combination of baking and grilling um and i'd like to try to grill a uh tri-tip roast which uh tri-tip is a, a california cut of of beef um that has a very distinct uh texture and and uh uh flavor because of how it's cooked um so that's something that i'm going to try to grill and i'm i'm excited to give that a, a shot and then on the baking side of my um cooking edification i'm trying to master um pizza and tossing dough Yes. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I didn't even think I would go that far. I was trying to just master making pizza dough. And now I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to take this to the limit. And so 
I tried uh, my hand le- uh, about a week and a half ago of tossing dough, and I actually almost got it into the soffit of our okay. house. <laughs> nice, nice, um, nice. But I'm I'm looking forward to uh, <laughs> making dough and and trying to toss it again and uh, see if I can actually get a, a good toss going because I I punched my hole through the last one. Uh-huh. I punched my fist. Uh, yes, well yeah, I understand. You got me. I was yeah <laughs> yeah. So those are those are sort of the cooking. My I'm I'm just really excited about it right now. It's a it's kind of a little bit of science and art mixed together when you when you cook. So I'm having fun with it. Nice. I am looking forward to fall and I know that sounds bad as summer is, you know, we were waiting for it, but, uh, I'm tired of the heat and I am ready for football season. Um, I live in Wisconsin, so I'm a big Packers fan and, uh, I can't wait for preseason and regular season to get started. And I cannot wait for the fall, uh, on those cool 50 degree evenings in front of a nice campfire. Or if it's really cold, I've got the fireplace for those that have watched the the video in the past. I've got a fireplace behind me and that works and we use it. That's nice. There's nothing there's nothing better than it being cold and then you being simultaneously the the environment is cold, but then you're warm. (laughs) The crackling of the fire, the opening of the door because it gets too hot in this ridiculously small house. And yeah, no, it's it's all good. The sound. Yeah, I love the I love the beginning of fall or the beginning of football season through Thanksgiving, maybe through Christmas, depending on the the weather. I think you're in California, so it's probably a lot different. But yeah, I'm I'm ready for the cool down now. Yeah, I am too. I mean, the the podcast quality will increase as a result. I'm in the garage and uh, I actually have a fan open and the door open, so letting in some outside noise. Um, <laughs> and so um, I am looking forward to it to it cooling down uh, myself as well. All right. Do you have a switch? I do not. I saw I one. I saw okay. one at Target uh, the other day, and and uh, I'm still not compelled to pick one up quite yet. Okay, me either. Let's move on to Christian, who left a comment on ImplantGames.com, who says, partly inspired by the podcast and your reviews on the channel, I decided to purchase a used original Xbox along with Crash, Wrath of Cortex, Voodoo Vince, Outrun 2, and a few others. From your reviews, they seem like great games, and I look forward to playing them. By the way, I'm curious to know your thoughts on the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy. Yeah, I I love your Voodoo Vince review, and uh, that was definitely one of those games I just never never heard of, and um, that's really cool that somebody went out there and, and got it. Hopefully, he got a good Xbox because some of those uh, can be modded and they can be a little uh, little shoddy. So I'm wishing uh, Christian the best with uh, with <laughs> have the you uh, you've sold a few Xboxes or do you not sell many Xboxes? Uh, n- the cost of shipping alone it is is not worth it. Uh, it um that's a whole other side side discussion I guess, but I don't sell consoles uh mainly because people buying them tend to not know where to plug them into their TV and it turns into sort of a tech support thing. Uh. Um, yeah, this is why I stopped making Frame Meister videos. <laughs> uh, yeah, so sorry, it, I got off topic, but yeah, no, no but it's uh, I don't, I don't typically, I'm dipping my toe back into it. Um, but yeah, it's it's astonishing to me how many people don't know where to how to change the input on their on their TV and and the like. Um, and so it, it has turned into a bit of a, a frustrating process. But the Xbox in particular is so darn heavy. Uh, that it, yeah. it it makes it uh, extremely expensive to to ship, 
And uh, I think that over time is going to cause more of them to go to waste. And uh, I do think there will be a corresponding uh, inflation of the Xbox games prices to result of that over time, I believe. That's my personal feeling on that. Nice. But, uh, but yeah, I'll Thoughts run on Crash Bandicoot, the insane, insane trilogy. trilogy? Oh, sorry. Oh, no, go for yeah, it. Outrun um, 2. You could talk about Outrun 2. I could talk about that for days. <laughs> <laughs> Outrun no, 2 but, is amazing. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But the uh, <laughs> Insane Trilogy, I'm, I, I think that's... I think they struck a perfect balance of a, of a remaster and, um, uh, you know, rebooting the old game. It sounds like the timing of the animation is different. The, the physics of the game are slightly different, which according to some people is making the game even harder, especially the first one than, than the originals. Um, but I have a feeling that might be some people's memories, uh, mm-hmm. partially playing tricks <laughs> on them. Um, but uh yeah i i it makes me sort of excited for a possibility of maybe spyro or something like that um getting the same kind of treatment uh which would be really cool to see especially cuz those original spyro games man those cutscenes are awful um they're they're <laughs> they're so short and nonsensical and the pacing and everything just doesn't even work very well for, uh they were just figuring I that have... stuff out I have a stack of PlayStation platformers that I would like to play through, including Crash and Spyro. People have been telling me to pick up Croc, so I have that. And uh, a few others, A Bug's Life, which I actually picked up. Um, I was looking through a you know, a, a shelf of PlayStation games. It said Disney. I pulled it out. I had Traveler's Tales on the back. I'm like, I'll take that. And uh, <laughs> yeah, I look forward to going through some of those. As far as the remaster, I own a few remasters. I think I own the DuckTales remaster, either on the 360 or the Wii U, um, barely played it. Uh, the one that really captured uh, my attention and that I really enjoyed was actually um, Sonic Adventure on the 360. And yeah. there was two reasons for that. Um, one, 60 frames per second. So that was a pretty, you know, that's a nice upgrade over the Dreamcast original. And then the high definition. So just, I didn't think it would matter at all. And yeah, there's, a, um, the controls are slightly different. There's a few collision issues in different spots, but like nothing where it made me upset. Like, oh my God, they, you know, they butchered the Dreamcast game. <laughs> but just, I find it amazing how much just a bump in resolution and a bump in frame rate uh, can really make an old 3D platformer feel new again. And then obviously with Crash Bandicoot, they, you know, redid all the textures and models and everything. But I think that's kind of neat. I, I ha- It hasn't really captured my attention with 2D, but on 3D, it seems like, like maybe there's more to it. Yeah, I, I think there's... Um especially when you're dealing with first, you know, PlayStation one games in general, uh, unless you're playing those on a, on a CRT there, which isn't even, it, it's helps a bit, you know, getting those scan lines going, uh, to help sort of the 3d effects, I guess you could call it, but the, the, the sort of the muddy textures of, of the, uh, the old PS one games, um, they uh they don't age very well to people's tastes in particular but uh crash was a little unique in that in that um they didn't do as much texturing on on their characters and so it had more of an animated look to it which helped it i think uh um a bit more but 
yeah, I, a lot of those PS one games I could see getting, getting a little bit of a spit and shine, uh, to them and, and, uh, some remastered, uh, treatment would, uh, would be really nice. Um, uh, electronic arts needs to bring back the original sled storm. <laughs> oh man. That's what I need to see remastered. Oh man. Oh, there's so many PS one games. I'd, I'd love, uh, to see. <laughs> yeah. I just don't even know if the companies even exist anymore for a lot of those properties that I, I liked back yeah. then. Um, <laughs> honestly, any of the psychosis games, uh, cause I know that Sony owns the, the company now, uh, technically. And, uh, yeah, any of those games really could use a, a good remaster. All that's left from their lineage is uh, Wipeout. Um, but they made some great games back then that I'd love to see rebooted. Or or not rebooted, but uh, given given sort of the remaster treatment. Anyways. On a final note with the Crash Bandicoot Insane Trilogy, I want to say the week it came out, it topped the sales charts. Yeah. Which gives me hope that maybe there is still a window for 3D platformers. I don't know if there is or not, but it gave me hope. Yeah, well, and I feel I think, like it's a genre that has died. I think this is a trend that that will help fill out uh, this. There is a slow period in game releases, and if that period mean could mean in the future, sort of the remaster time of year, where it's like this. This is where companies go back to their catalog and. And they have some, you know, third-party company take take care of a of, of a remaster, and they re-release it to sort of keep their IPs alive and people's memories and things like that. Then uh, I could I could see this becoming sort of a an annual time of year uh, for for this because I think they hit their timing couldn't have been more perfect for the release. Um, there was and, nothing going on, was there? Uh, not not to my to my <laughs> likings, I guess you could say. So. Uh, yes. I think it's a perfect, uh, perfect little thing to, to keep people, um, you know, keep that, that IP going. And then they'll make a new crash and completely ruin it. <laughs> well, that's a, yeah. I mean, Activision still has it, right? So I have uh, no idea who owns yeah, it. Is that who I don't, owns it? Activision? I think so. Um, I, know I don't that, have the slightest idea. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> there was, um, I've talked about a couple of crash games on the channel, um, but I haven't done like a good in-depth analysis of a crash game, but it always, to me, it feels like there's like the old PlayStation gamers that only like the original trilogy. And then there's like a, a new generation of crash fans that thought twin sanity was like this amazing, you know, different step for the series. It's um, like the, the like just Star Wars weird line, the prequels, people who love the prequels and people who love the originals, uh, Although I don't think, uh, man, Crash is a, a different kind of beast. It uh, it was definitely, I mean, the first game especially was dabbling in, in arcade hard or whatever you want to call it. <laughs> Rayman um, hard. <laughs> but see, you could beat Crash without 100%ing it. That's the difference. Could you imagine if like Crash Bandicoot, the original, you had to get 100% before you would get the last boss? Yeah, that's Unless that's not, how it works. That, but I don't uh, think that's how. I think no, you can it, get to the credits without 100%. Yeah, I think so. Um <laughs> I cannot I cannot imagine But not that, Rayman. That. <laughs> Rayman you can't get to the credits without 100%. <laughs> I'm still upset about it. I have to like I'm going to have to like have a 2-day cool off period before I start <laughs> writing. <laughs> oh. Did you have anything else to say before we wrap this up? No, I'm I'm really uh, 
I love the comments and, and hope people keep keep them coming. Perfect. All right. Well, that is going to do it for today's episode. If you'd like to leave one of those wonderful comments or if you have a question, hit us up on Twitter. I am at Implant. Matthew is at Cricket, K-R-I-K-I-T, and use hashtag IPG Podcast. Otherwise, leave a comment on Facebook.com slash Implant Games or at the website at ImplantGames.com. And until next time, guys, have a great week. 